Welcome to The Recovery Show. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. During this show, we will share our own experiences as they relate to the topic of choices. We hope you will find something in our sharing that speaks to your life. My name is Kelly, and I will be your host today. Joining me is Swetha. How are you today, Swetha? Great. Thanks, Kelly. Good, good. And next to Swetha is Spencer. How are you doing, Spencer? I'm doing well. Thank you. All right. So the first segment of today's episode of The Recovery Show will be our discussion of the topic choices. Following a musical break, we'll talk about our lives in recovery and about what's happening in the meetings we attend and in our own lives. And we'll follow that with brief news about the podcast before closing with another musical break. We have a reading today that comes from the Al-Anon Daily Reader called Courage to Change, and it's on page 30. It says, living with alcoholism, I learned that plans could change at any moment and that rules varied accordingly. I developed a deep mistrust of everyone and everything because I could count on nothing. As a result, I have often found myself jumping at any opportunity without thinking it through. Behind my action was a sense of desperation. I'd better grab this now. This may be my only chance. Al-Anon shows me a different approach. I can live one day at a time. I can base my choices on what I feel is right for me today rather than on what I fear I might lose sometime in the future. I can think before I react to my fears and remember that easy does it. So I really liked that reading and it kind of got me thinking about how, what my thought process for making choices and decisions was like before the program. And I really was thinking about kind of two main ideas. One was that in a lot of situations, I didn't feel like I had any choice And the second was that in the rare occasion that I did feel like I had a choice, it was very much black and white thinking where I only felt like there were two options. There was a right and a wrong, or there was good and a bad, or um, I don't know, I guess just really feeling like if I didn't make the right choice, something was going to go very wrong. And... Like I mentioned, though, that was kind of a rare occurrence. So I, th- I think most of the time, the environment that I grew up in was such that most of my decisions were made for me, and I was just really kind of guided and steered towards things that other people thought were appropriate or best for me. And I wasn't really given the opportunity to think about what I wanted or what I liked or what I felt was good or bad. So I was kind of interested to see if you guys had a similar experience or if it was a little bit different. Oh, it was uh, exactly the same for me. <laughs> I feel like I was really, I didn't feel like I had many choices before the program. I didn't think I, I, I mean, I think growing up in my household also, it wasn't so much that I might have had choices, but my parents made them for me a lot. Um, as sort of a comical example, I remember several times this happened, but we would be at dinner and my mom would say, oh, well, you're done with this. What would you like now, this or this? And I'd pick one and she'd go, no, no, <laughs> sweet girl, no, you want the other one. <laughs> and um, and that's a small example, but yeah, a lot of times 
choices were made for me and it was very much black and white thinking. It was, oh, well, obviously I'm not supposed to eat this dish. This was the correct answer. Why did I pick that dish next time? <laughs> and that just carried over into everything else. And a lot of times, um, I really liked the reading, too, where it said that plans changed at any moment and rules varied accordingly. And I just thought that I had to go along with whatever other plans or rules that somebody else set. There was no, well, what are my plans and what are my rules? There's no sense of self there at all. So I didn't feel like I had choices. I just felt like my choice was follow the rules or get in big trouble. <laughs> and um, and uh, sometimes I'd have to guess at the rules. So those those were my choices. My choices were guess the right rule. <laughs> and that's how I felt anyway. Um, how about you, Spencer? Wow. Okay. Um, so one of the things that's interesting um, listening to you too is I don't really remember much about when I was growing up, what, you know, did my parents dictate my choices? Did I actually have choices? Um, uh, and um, I know that uh, throughout my life, I've, I've had a hard time making choices sometimes. Um, you know, what do you want for dinner? I don't know. What is there? Um, and maybe that comes from some childhood thing. Maybe it just comes from a, a, a desire to not have to commit to things. I'm not sure what. But um, I really identified with the, this little quote here, I'd better grab this now, this may be my only chance. Mm -hmm. This feeling that when uh, a decision has to be made, when a choice has to be made, I have to do it right now because um, I might not have that choice in the future. I might not, uh, uh, you know, things might just happen and, and I'll be forced into something. And of course, being forced into making a choice is not very much different from just being forced into something arbitrarily, really. Um, I think about... When we moved to Ann Arbor, um, I had been in grad school uh, out in Salt Lake City, and so we flew to Ann Arbor for a weekend to find a house. Okay, so talk about time boxing, talk about, <laughs> man, I have to make this choice right now. Uh, and the weekend we happened to pick to come here was homecoming weekend. Oh. Uh, didn't really know that, of course, <laughs> uh, not being U of M uh, alums or fans or whatever at the time. And so we found a house that we liked. We had to nail it down right away. Uh, well, the guy who owned the house was much more interested in celebrating homecoming. And, and so we didn't end up getting that house. And we went out the next day. And, and I think probably about the first house we looked at, we said, yeah, this is good. We'll take this one. Um, flew back to Salt Lake City, uh, did the whole rest of the thing by like FedEx. Um, no email really at that time, not in common use. And, um, so that was, that was how I made decisions. It was like that. It was, you know, how did I make the decision where to go to grad school? I went to the, the counseling office at, at the college, and I started looking at catalogs, and, and I said, ah, oh, that looks like a good school. They've got a program that that's, does what I'm interested in. I'll go there. Okay. Um, that's the way I made decisions my whole life. I didn't really think about them a whole lot sometimes, some of the time. When I came into the program, uh, I found myself facing – a decision, um, I couldn't really think of it as a choice, um, in that I was living with active alcoholism in my family, uh, and I only saw that there were two possible paths forward. Uh, there was, you know, there was a fork in the road, and somehow I had to take one of those forks, and there was no other options. And I, and I think that, again, that sort of exemplifies some of what you guys said. You know, there's only two choices. There's yes or no, black or white. And the two choices that I saw were to continue in the relationship 
with my loved one as it was, which was pretty much unmanageable and really painful, uh, or to totally break off the relationship, which I also didn't want to do. And, and so I was paralyzed. I didn't know what to do. And I came into Al-Anon, and one of the things that I heard very early, thank goodness, was if I didn't know what I what was the right choice in a particular situation, if I wasn't in like mortal danger, I could wait. This was a brand new concept to me at the age of 45 or whatever I was then, brand new concept that I could wait to make a decision. I did not have to grab this right now. It was not necessarily my only chance. So yeah, that was, that was really important really early for me. I also really liked actually but they said I can live one day at a time. Mm-hmm. For me, when I I was scared to make choices um, because I thought once I made that choice, it would be that way forever and ever and ever, mm-hmm. and nothing could ever change because I said it one time, <clears throat> and um, that was that was terrifying to me. So I would calculate. I was I'm being into formulas as you guys know, and <laughs> I would sit there and like calculate the odds that I would want that choice in the future and how I could possibly make, because it wasn't that I could ever just say, oh, well, today I feel this way. It wasn't that I felt like I could say that at all. I thought I'd have to say, this is it. I choose option A and forever. I will always, always want to eat chocolate ice cream, and I will never, ever eat another flavor of ice cream ever again in my life. (laughs) I promise. (laughs) It wasn't just, oh, yeah, let's go get some chocolate ice cream today, guys. I mean, everything was a big deal because it had to be forever. Um, I think that was kind of from earlier on in the reading where they said rules change so much that I think I kind of enforced constants in my life or felt like I needed to enforce constants in my lives and project what I felt like I needed. I wanted something more constant. So for other people, I had to be constant. And that made me crazy, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) I like, Spencer, that you brought up the um, part of the reading that talks about fear and making decisions based on fear of what you might lose in the future. You know, for me, before the program, I kind of could relate to what you were saying, Swetha, in that, well, and Spencer, too, in that I just, you know, I just made a decision and went with it. There really wasn't time to think about it or process it or survey the options. You just pick something and you kept going. And I really don't think the fear part so much kicked in until I first came to the program because that was really the point at which it became I became enlightened to the fact that I had choices and then that got really scary to know that I had the option to think about things or that there you know as I mentioned before there's the idea that we talk about of black or white thinking you know I really always thought that it was just the right answer or the wrong answer and then it was presented to me that there's this whole plethora of gray area in which there are many other choices. And that was really scary for me to think that there were hundreds of options. I mean, if I thought that I could get it wrong between two choices, then I really had a chance of getting it wrong between hundreds of choices. Sounds like you're calculating percentages there. (laughs) (laughs) But... For me, what, what, what Swetha said there about the one day at a time helps to offset that. Yes. You know, if, if I make a choice and tomorrow it's not the right choice for me, I can change my mind. I'm right. allowed to change my mind because tomorrow is different from today. 
Um, I mean, yeah, there are some things that are harder to change your mind about. You buy a house, you're kind of stuck with the house for a while. Okay? <laughs> right. You get married, you're kind of stuck with the marriage for a while. Uh, so, you know, those choices you spend more time thinking about, right? Sure. Um, but if I decide that I want to try Superman ice cream for some silly reason, I don't know why, and I hate it, well, I don't have to eat that again. Okay? Right. Yeah. Yeah, I think... I mean, it's interesting to think about the process, too, between how I made decisions before and how I make decisions now. And I like that you guys are bringing up some of the tools. Easy does it one day at a time. Something else that I definitely utilize a lot when I'm faced with choices now, too, is my sponsor. I make a phone call and let them know my whole thought process. You know, I, I just lay it all out on the table. This is the issue. These are what I think my options are. And a lot of times, because they're not directly involved in the situation, they're able to see choices that I don't see. Or they are able to remind me, like you said, Spencer, about that concept of, I don't have to make a decision today. I can sit with it. I can see what happens. I can wait and see what my higher power does for me. Um, and I also never realized that sitting with things or not making a decision was kind of a decision of sorts. But um, do you guys have any other tools that you use for making decisions now other than what we already kind of touched on? Certainly prayer and meditation. Mm. Um, that asking for help. Asking my higher power for help, bringing bringing situations to other people because um, my my higher power talks to me much more directly through other people than if I just sit there and wait for the voice to speak in my head. Um, <laughs> it uh, I think it, it it has to do with with my ingrained thought patterns. Uh, it's it's difficult for me to to shut off my brain, and and so if I if I ask for help and then I bring it to a meeting, I call my sponsor, I call a friend in the program, then as you say, I, I can hear um, possibilities, I can hear answers that might not have occurred to me, uh, that might not be uh, my first uh, instinct reaction uh, to a situation. Um, I think, uh, I know, Swethi, you've talked about uh, doing an inventory as a tool, and maybe, I don't know if, if you find that helpful when you're, when you're faced with choices. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> I just spent two weeks in a foreign country with my family where none of us spoke the language, and the only people we really could talk to were each other because we didn't really have internet access either. Um, I had a lot of time to think about <laughs> choices. And, yeah, I do. Like, um, at one point I was inevitably really frustrated and when I get resentful like that I realized that um, I, I then stop and think okay I'm getting really resentful why am I resentful because I and usually the answer is because I feel like I'm being forced to do something but now that I'm in the program I realize I'm not I'm not being forced to do anything I'm making the choice to listen to somebody else or not and a lot of times with that as well um, one thing that my sponsor reminds me of all the time is how important is it and that really helps me a lot with choices. I, I mean, especially, especially with close relationships like family or, or significant others or what have you. For example, recently, um, I remember one of my parents saying something to me that I was really not happy about. 
Um, but they were in a cranky mood, and I could have, I could have uh, said, you know, that's not acceptable. You can't say that to me. I could have. It was a choice. But really, how important was it? <laughs> how important was it at three in the morning? We're all trying to pack up to leave, to stand my ground and 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 do that. So that day, I chose to let it go. But I think for me, it's it's really important to be aware that I'm making a choice because in the past I would have just been quiet and not said anything. But it wasn't that I felt like I made a choice to let it go. I would have felt like I have to. They're my parents, and I'm being forced to ignore all of their unacceptable behavior and things like that. So how important is it really helped? And I, I definitely inventory a lot, <laughs> oh, especially when I feel resentful. So that I like that you talked about the idea of. Um, what we usually refer to as picking up the rope, mm-hmm. that in terms of the difference between pre-program and post-program, I now realize today that I have a choice whether or not to pick up the rope when someone tries to engage with me in an argument or if they are trying to push my buttons or if they're trying to throw me off my game, you know, whatever, that before the program, I didn't think that there was a choice there. I thought that I had to show them what was right and what was true and how I felt about everything. <laughs> and, um, you know, that's that's kind of something that I'm realizing that I, I didn't think I had that choice before, where now when someone throws some information at me that maybe I don't particularly care for or doesn't align with what I'm thinking that I always have the choice of whether or not to react to that and whether or not to engage or comment or say something or I can just let it slide. It doesn't mean that it's not important to me or that I don't care about the issue. It just means that I don't want an argument. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I definitely I definitely do that a lot. I did that a lot even before the program. But again, back then, I think part of the reason that I would just sort of word vomit whatever was going on in my head <laughs> for lack of better phrasing because it's really what came out um, was because I was afraid if I didn't stand up for myself or didn't say it in every single situation it meant that I had to be a doormat in every situation which was obviously not true again one day at a time really helps with that that maybe today I my parents might say something and I'm not comfortable hearing it but I can let it go but tomorrow I can say hey you know maybe yeah, I'm not comfortable with hearing that. That's okay. As you were talking about you know, interactions with family, uh, I realized that another place where the program gave me choices um, was very closely related to, to my codependency, my people-pleasing behavior, that really before, uh, before I came to Al-Anon, I felt that... Um, if the group of people I was with wanted to do something, then I had to go along with it. And if I wanted to do something and the people I was with didn't want to do it, then I wouldn't do it. Okay, so that I did not have a choice there, really. I could say, hey, I want to go see this movie, and everybody else would say, oh, no, no, I don't want to go see that movie. Well, okay, then I guess I won't go see the movie. You know, um, I want to go to this concert. No, I'm not really interested. Okay, I guess I'll stay home. I'll stay home and sit here in the corner and sulk. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I remember, I don't know what meeting it was. It was pretty early in my program. And and somebody was talking about that exact situation. It's like, you know, my husband doesn't like to go to movies. I do. I just go by myself now. Mm-hmm. Wow, this light bulb 
like went on in my head. What? You can do that? <laughs> you can choose to do something different from what your your family, your your friends are doing? Wow. Never, never thought of that. Um, you know, I started taking advantage of that. I started going to, at that time, one of the coffee shops downtown was doing um, free concerts with local musicians on, I don't know, Friday or Saturday evenings. And, and I started going to those because I wanted to go. I wanted to, to listen to these musicians. Nobody else in the family wanted to go. And that was okay. That was okay. Wow. Um, you know, I go visit my, my parents uh, at their home and you know, they have a very set routine in their lives now. They're, you know, they're retired. They're, they're, uh, so they get up at a certain time, they eat lunch at a certain time, they eat dinner at a certain time, and, and everybody else is sort of expected to follow that schedule because if they get off schedule, they get really cranky, okay? Um, you know, we used to joke, and, and you know, it's, it's a little different now. We used to joke that at 10.10, they were done for the day. No matter what, it was 10.10, time for them to go to bed, Especially my mother, I think. But and 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 so you know, we would watch this. Like if they were visiting us, it'd come along ten o'clock, and all of a sudden, boom! Like, well, you know, we're we're tired. We're going now. Um, so you know, set schedule. Well, when I go visit them, there's an LNI meeting I like to go to. It's at noon on Friday. There's another one noon on a different day of the week. Uh, and well, that's lunchtime. Okay, but now I know that I can say no. I I need to go to this meeting. This is what I'm doing. You guys go ahead and eat lunch. You don't have to hold lunch for me. I have to give them explicit permission not to hold lunch for me because otherwise their codependency kicks in and they feel <laughs> they have to wait for me. Um, <laughs> and uh, you know that makes a huge difference to me. It really makes um, that sort of situation um, a lot less stressful. Um, that I can follow my needs, I can make choices that feed my needs. Uh, and, and our most recent visit, there was something that that we really wanted to do that conflicted with that Friday afternoon meeting. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, and so I went online, I looked up, and there was another meeting uh, a little further away that evening, so we went and did the thing in the afternoon, and we're coming home, and and I know we're gonna get home just a little bit before it's time for me to leave to go to the meeting. And so I say, you know, let's, let's just order a pizza for dinner. We can pick it up on the way home, we can eat it, and then I can run off to this meeting. So again, thinking about the permission that I have from the program to make choices that are good for me, that enable me to suggest a course of action that got everybody fed, and, and didn't mean that I missed that meeting that I wanted to go to. So I feel like we're talking a lot about this idea of realizing, you know, pre-program we didn't think we had choices or we, we thought we had limited choices. And now that we're in the program, we, we have more choices or better tools for dealing with them. So I'm wondering if either of you have had an experience now that you're in the program of being in a situation where you felt like you didn't have a choice or... Um, you know, in terms of maybe a more crisis type situation where we don't have that moment to pause or sit with information or think about things. Um, 
feeling like you didn't have a choice, you, you know, you just had to react. Do you, do you guys feel like that still happens to you ever? I know we're kind of all at different points in our recovery, so I, you know, I don't know. It's just... Um, I don't know if for me it was, I don't know if this counts as crisis. I mean, for me, sometimes in the moment, a lot of things count as crisis. But <laughs> in retrospect, I'm like, eh. <laughs> maybe you could have calmed down a bit there. Um, but um, again, like recently, uh, when, we were, when we were in Greece, uh, my family and I went to a different city. And I was really excited about going. It was supposed to be awesome. We were going to see Poseidon's temple. And, and we got there, and it was in the middle of nowhere. And that's okay. There was still a temple. They had a small snack stand. And um, it, was, it was unacceptable to my family. My dad got really upset, and he wanted to go find a restaurant. The nearest restaurant, I think, was a few miles away, um, walk on a highway that we weren't supposed to be walking on. Um, <laughs> and uh, I remember my family telling me that I mean saying we're gonna go we're gonna go we're gonna find a restaurant there's got to be a restaurant here somewhere we're gonna find it and um, we were in Greece like I said and we didn't speak the language and we didn't have any way to communicate with each other the only way we could keep track of each other was being physically with each other and so I went with them to go find this restaurant and um, I was really cranky <laughs> and uh, hungry and tired and somewhat lonely, that's hungry, angry, lonely, tired, all of them, all of them at once. And I felt like I didn't have a choice. I felt really, um, I felt like I had to go, I had to decide right then and there. And I, I mean, to some degree, I kind of did. Um, but uh, as I was walking and uh, behind my family and glaring daggers at my father, I, <laughs> I realized that I was being super resentful and um, that, I, I, that I did have a choice. I could have just said, you know, hey, I'm going to stay behind. I'm going to stay at the snack stand. Um, I'll hopefully see you guys in a couple of hours. If not, I don't have any clue what I'm going to do because I don't know where you'll be, but uh, this is where I'm going to be. And I realized that's not really something I was comfortable with. And then I kind of accepted the choice that I made. I realized it was a choice. Um, or even in retrospect, when I don't, when I am in a crisis mode, sort of, where I have to make a choice immediately, it helps me, even in retrospect, to look back and say, you know what, I did make a choice there. Like, here were my available options, and this is the one I instinctively went with, and maybe I didn't like it so much, and maybe next time I'll do something different, but I made that choice. And um, even if I'm not aware of it in the moment, it's nice for me to look back on it and be aware that I'm still in control of my life. That's a big thing for me, is to be aware that I am... I am me by myself and I can make my choices for me mm -hmm. and I have made my choices for me and when I get resentful I just tell myself someone else did and it uh, doesn't work well for me in that point, at that point, not good for my recovery. <laughs> yeah, um, wow, so, so the thing that came to my mind also has to do with the restaurant. Um, <laughs> there's a pattern here of some sort, I don't know. Uh, yeah, so during during the holidays when my parents were visiting, um, we were going to go out to dinner. They were going to take us out to dinner one night. Okay, so um, and we said, well, where are we going to go? I suggested a couple places, and my mother said, well, I don't want to go to that place. Let's go to that place and, and this other place. And I'm like, okay. And we'd been there before. We'd enjoyed it. We got there, and they had made some really major changes to their menu. Um, I will say dumbed it down, whatever. Um, <laughs> most of the choices on the menu were not things that we wanted. Um, 
And I think it, I, I, if I can um, stereotype here, it was a very hipster menu, okay? <laughs> and we are not hipster people, so there you go. Um, so I was sitting there feeling like I had no choice because we were here and as I've talked about, my mother has very limited mobility. We were already there, all six of us, whatever, sitting down. Um, and it was like, no, we have to stay here. But I kept thinking, well, could we go somewhere else? I'm never coming back here. I know that for sure. <laughs> um, man, this is horrible. There's nothing here my son will eat. He's a vegetarian. <laughs> um, and like almost all the entrees had, had steak or something in them, right? You know? And and I finally realized that I did have a choice, okay? It was not a choice between stay at this restaurant or go somewhere else. It was a choice between, as you said very much, being resentful about the situation I was in, um, saying, oh, I really wish they had their old menu back because I really liked the old menu a lot better mm-hmm. or accepting acceptance <laughs> accepting that this is where we were this is where we were going to eat dinner we were going to eat choices off of that menu and that I should do the best with what they provided and once I realized that choice uh, then it was a lot easier for me to sit there uh, the resentment didn't completely go away. I was still mad at them for changing the menu, okay? Um, <laughs> Progress, not perfection. <laughs> uh, yeah, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> so what happened there was was going from a position of no choice to a position of a different kind of choice, to a choice about attitude rather than a choice about um, actions, and, and that, again, that's something that, you know, I've learned uh, in, in the program that, as we say in the opening that I was read at many Al-Anon meetings, so much depends on our own attitudes and changed attitudes can aid recovery. And when I was able to change my attitude, I was able to then enjoy the rest of the evening, which was why I was there, for God's <laughs> sake, okay? I was there to enjoy time with my family. And... Um, not to be resentful about what was or wasn't on the menu. What about you, Kelly? Well, I guess I can tie this into a restaurant for you don't have sake, to but tie it into a restaurant. Um, choice, Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> no, the, um, this question was kind of reminding me of a situation that happened. This was maybe a couple years ago now, so it was. Uh, maybe about two or three years into my recovery, but I got a phone call one Saturday, maybe about 11 o'clock, from someone that I'm really close to that doesn't call very often. And when I picked up the phone, they didn't sound okay, and they started telling me that they just woke up, they were in a strange house, they didn't know where they were, they didn't know where their clothes were, um... And they weren't sure where their car keys were, and they were scared. And I would be scared. Yeah, I, I would be scared too. <laughs> so you know, I'm kind of thinking along the lines of crisis. You know, when you when when you get a phone call like that, and someone is saying these things to you, it was like, you know, this 
fear and panic kicked in. Like I just wanted to, I just wanted like some sort of satellite GPS to point like a tractor beam at where she was so that I could just drive and pick her up and take her, you know? And obviously that's not possible. Thank God, because I would not be able to recover. But, um, so, you know, I really, even though it felt like a crisis, I really still had to use that pause button. And I just kind of had to walk her through the situation like, you know, okay, so get up, leave the room you're in. What's in the hallway? Are there other room? You know, like I kind of had to walk her through, like, go find your clothes, you know, go find your purse. Where's your stuff? And we ended up um, meeting up at a restaurant that was kind of a midpoint once she figured out where she was, a midpoint between her and I. And um, sat there and talked for a while. And I, you know, I think that that was kind of the part that helped me bring it all together because even though I wasn't able to go rescue her, I was at least able to sit there with her and kind of talk about her situation and what she thought her options were for maybe not allowing that situation to happen again or, um, you know, potentially finding recovery and what were the options there just to know that I, I had the choice to be there for her in a way that was healthy for me and that was also helpful to her and not, you know, really codependent and enmeshed in crazy, rescuing, <laughs> nutty behavior. So, um, but as far as the never feeling like I have a choice, I'm sure if I was, like, not getting my way and having a tantrum moment... I would say yes to that, but, (laughs) but realistically, I think now, I think now I would have to say no to that. I don't think there's ever a moment when I don't think I have a choice. And part of that, I think, and I feel like you kind of touched on this a little bit, Swetha, is not putting myself in situations with people who have made me feel like that before, Mm -hmm. you know, distancing myself from people who are controlling or dominating or, um, or, you know, don't accept me for who I am. Um, and surrounding myself with, with people who, uh, who are just open and, and willing, excuse me, just more allows me to feel like I do have a choice if I, pick a restaurant that we're going to and they don't like it, that it's okay for them to say they don't like it or that it's okay for me to say that I don't like it. Um, And that's been really helpful, I think, to my recovery is just surrounding myself with people who also think they have choices, who are accepting, you know, of, of, of me thinking that I have choices (laughs) and, and making my own decisions. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So, oh man, I had some thoughts in there. Um, so sometimes I find myself, and, and I think we all do, we find ourselves in a situation where we feel like, and where we are in that situation and we can't get out of it. So, um, well, I, I'm going to come back to my mother's health. Uh, my reaction to that is I'm powerless. Her health is failing. This is really sad. I'm really mad at God about it. Okay. Um, I'm getting through that. Uh, another one of my relatives starts in with the, 
the sort of reaction, well, I think she just hasn't seen the right doctors yet. I think she needs to go to a specialist and, and they'll figure out how to fix this thing. And, you know, that could be true. Uh, neither of us has the power to make that happen. We don't live there. We don't have any, you know, medical power of attorney or whatever uh, that we could force that to happen. Aha, force. Uh, <laughs> so it feels like there's no choice. And, and powerless leads to this there's no choice feeling. And and it brings me back to the that I do have choices, but they're, they're choices on a different dimension. They're choices about attitude, their choices about how I act or, or react. Um, you know, I can make a choice to try to accept reality rather than fight reality. Um, you know, I uh, can be stuck on an airplane on a runway because of a weather hold or something like that. I have no choice. I have to sit in that stupid seat in that stupid airplane on a stupid runway. Okay. Um, but I can choose to sit there and seethe, or I can pull out a book, pull out a crossword puzzle, pull out, yeah, discover, I can, I can pull out the book Discovering Choices and discover that I have choices. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, I find myself in situations where traditionally I would see that as no choice. Uh, and, and what I've come to understand is that choice is not a single dimension uh, and that there are different ways of making choices, there are different kinds of choices, and that, that almost always there are choices I can make that will improve um, at least my serenity, uh, if, if not the actual situation. Um, and I was also thinking about tools, I was thinking about slogans, because one of you mentioned um, just for today, and how important is it, um, other slogans that can sometimes help when I'm facing a decision or a choice, um, do the next right thing. Mm -hmm. uh, first things first. Oh, my God, I have, you know, sometimes I'm faced with too many choices. I'm faced with too many things I have to do. Mm -hmm. And I can say, well, what's the next right thing or what, what needs to be done first? And that helps to narrow the choices to a point where I can actually make one. Sure. Mm -hmm. uh, do you guys have any, any of your favorite slogans around that help you out? How important is it is by far and away my favorite <laughs> slogan ever. Hungering and lonely tired really is a good one too. Um, I, but actually, um, Kelly, something that you mentioned about staying away from sort of dominating sort of personalities and things like that, I, I just wanted to mention that um, sometimes I have to be in those situations or sometimes I know that I'm going to be in a crisis. Maybe I won't know I'm in a crisis, but uh, one thing I do with choices is I... I try to remind myself, like one of my tools is to have backup choices. Like I always sort of, for example, before I walked into that two-week vacation, I knew that it would be very trying, <laughs> and I reminded myself that I had choices, or I said, you know what, There's these are going to be my choices in any given situation. I know that we're not going to have a lot of time apart, but I can choose to tell my parents at any given point in the next two weeks, crisis or not, I need some space right now. Or uh, I'm going to meditate at this time in the morning and I, I need this or what have you. Like, it also helps me to Yeah, that yeah, that's, that's really important and thank you for bringing that up. And, and one of my sponsees is going on a uh, trip with um, 
her parents to a distant country. <laughs> and again, same situation. She doesn't really speak the language. Um, and, you know, trapped in a hotel room or whatever with, with the family. And, uh, and I really encourage her to think ahead of time about, you know, escape options, yes. about making time for herself, about, you know, go to a cafe or something mm-hmm. like that. Just give yourself permission mm-hmm. to, to give yourself alone time when you need it. Uh, and so make, thinking ahead when you, when you know you're going into a difficult situation often can help with, with choices because you're sort of giving yourself a menu ahead of time. Exactly. Yeah, that was definitely something that my sponsor talked to me about the first time I went on a family vacation um, was insisting that I needed time for myself. And I'm really glad you guys brought that up because it's so easy once you get into that family dynamic of playing the part that you always played, you know, and and just getting enmeshed right away. It's so easy because especially when you're the only one in the family that's in recovery, everybody else is doing their crazy dance and they try to suck you in, you know, and if you... Even if it's five minutes after lunch when everyone else is busy doing something else and they don't even notice you're gone, you know, to take five minutes and meditate or Mm -hmm. to go for a walk by yourself or, you know, do some yoga or whatever it is. um, Yeah, it's it's so, so crucial to feel like you have that choice Mm -hmm. to get away from everybody. And for me, it's almost like the... Um, analogy that we use in meetings about putting on your own oxygen mask before you help others, that if I don't take that time away from everybody to gain some clarity and get back to myself, then I can't be good in my interactions with them, you know, because I'm, because I'm caught up in the, in the crazy. So I just wanted to kind of wrap up our discussion on choices with the today's reminder from the daily reader that says today I will remember that I have choices and so does the alcoholic I will make the best choices I can and allow others in my life to do the same without interference and that's from courage to change uh, page five after a short break we'll be back with our lives in recovery where we talk about the meetings we attend and what's happening in our lives Oh, and next we're going to listen to the XX uh, with the song Islands. Um, In this song, the singer talks about being in a relationship with another person uh, where the other person sees it as very serious and the singer isn't necessarily as gung-ho about it. But uh, they're kind of going along with it anyway because they don't want to be alone and they feel they have no choice. So in the song, they almost sound like they're trying and failing to convince themselves that um, so many of the other person's wishes is the thing to do. And uh, here's the song.
Excellent song selection, Swetha. Uh, love that song. I saw those guys live a couple years ago at Lollapalooza. It was a great show. Awesome. So in this section of the podcast, we're going to talk about our lives in recovery and what's happening in our meeting and our lives this week. So, Spencer, why don't you start us off? Let's okay. Well, you know, this week included New Year's Eve. And uh, in the past, uh, New Year's Eve would have been a great drinking occasion. Um, and uh, now that uh, my loved one's in recovery and I'm in recovery, uh, I got invited, I think, about nine years ago to a New Year's Eve celebration at the home of a couple who are both in recovery, uh, one in each program. And so they host a party. It's a potluck. People bring amazing food. There's yes. great company there, you know, because uh, alcoholics are really neat and interesting people and and when they're sober you can actually talk to them um, <laughs> and uh, and so it's a great it's a great party and then at 11 o'clock they start a meeting and it's a joint Al-Anon AA meeting with an Al-Anon AA opening, Al-Anon opening, AA lead, Al-Anon lead and then and then sharing from whoever feels like it and sitting in their living room at their home and then at midnight we close and say happy new year and, and everybody cleans up and goes home and it's it's a really nice way to celebrate New Year's Eve uh, in recovery. And, you know, I wake up the next morning and I'm not all hungover, which is also wonderful. <laughs> uh, so that that meeting uh, is always special to me. It, it happens once a year. And uh, I really enjoy the sort of cross connections that, that we make there at that, at that party and in that meeting. So that, I think that's, I'll stop with that. Well, I also uh, went to that New Year's Eve soiree, and I also really look forward to it um, for many reasons, but one of, the, one of the reasons is, this is kind of a selfish reason, but, um, you know, my alcoholic is very good at um, networking. He knows a lot of people, he's really good at conversation, and I'm kind of more the quiet one in the relationship, so in the past, we would go to a lot of gathering type of things where he would know a bunch of people and I would go along and then I would just sort of end up getting ditched because he would want to go talk to so-and-so or thus and such or whatever and he's off doing all these things and I don't know any of these people and he's not very good about like you know sort of he's not codependent in the sense of feeling like he has to incorporate me in every conversation so I really look forward to that gathering because we both know the majority of the people who are there so it's a lot of fun, tons of great recovery, a chance to catch up with people that I only see once or twice a year, maybe at a retreat or at, at this gathering. Um, so yeah, and it's, I agree with Spencer, you wake up the next morning, you feel a lot more serene, you feel like it's a great start to the year. Um, 
I also had my six-year anniversary this week, so I got my token at the meeting last night, which was exciting. And on my Wednesday night meeting, one of my sponsees gave a first-step talk, which is kind of like an open talk of sorts. And it always just strikes me as amazing um, when, when a situation like that happens because I've worked with this woman for probably two, two and a half years now, and I still learn so much about her from, from listening to her talk. So many things that, you know, perspectives I didn't know she had or things that had happened to her that I, that I didn't realize. And, um, you know, I just love the opportunity to see people's growth um, in meetings like that. So, so I thought, what about you? Oh, I know you're out of town, so yeah. how'd that work out for you? Well, <laughs> I'm really looking forward to my next meeting. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I, I didn't get to go to a lot of meetings, um, partly because I couldn't look them up. I didn't have the, I didn't have internet access to look up the directions or anything like that. Um, what I ended up doing instead was emailing a lot of people and, um, meditating. I did a lot of meditation. I meditated twice a day and prayed a lot, a lot of praying. It was, God, please, any second now, grant me strength, please. Um, and I also read this book called Discovering Choices, um, which was really nice. And uh, as the title betrays, uh, it's, it's about discovering that you have choices, um, which is a big part of, for me, a big part of my recovery. I really, really needed to remember that. Um, so for me, a, a lot of my recovery experience was reading out loud literature, meditating, taking time to get back in touch with myself and figure out how I'm feeling about things and um, and reaching out to people in the program a lot. <laughs> By the way, thanks for the emails back, guys. I really appreciate that. Any day. <laughs> All right, so our topic next week will be expectations. Awesome. We welcome your thoughts, your experience, strength, and hope, and your questions. Please leave a voicemail or send us an email. So, Spencer, how can people send us feedback? Ah, well, you can call and leave a voicemail at 734-707-8795. Again, that's 734-707-8795. Put the podcast on pause. Give us a call right now. If you prefer, if you don't want to leave your voice, uh, you can send us an email, or maybe you're outside of the U.S., uh, at feedback at therecoveryshow.com. That's feedback at therecoveryshow.com. We'd love to hear from you. Share your experience, strength, and hope about today's topic of choices or next week's topic of expectations. If you have a topic you'd like us to talk about, let us know. If today's discussion raised a question in your mind, or if you have questions you'd like us to address about expectations, give us a call. And also, um, just a quick note about uh, the podcast in general. Uh, we have submitted the uh, the podcast to the iTunes store, so we have hopes that it will be showing up there shortly. We'll let you know when it does. Uh, but right now, you can, of course, um, find out more about us where, Shletha? Oh, well, you can find out about us at our website, therecoveryshow.com. It has all the information about the show, including notes for each episode, a blog with daily meditations, links to music we play, and a page to which we periodically post recordings of Al-Anon Open Talk speakers. And uh, we're now going to close with a song by Macklemore. It's called Hold Your Head Up. Uh, in the song, he essentially seems to be saying, don't worry, what's going to happen was meant to happen. Just keep moving forward and realize you're always having a choice.
to survive. Each moment's precious. Don't let life pass you by. Keep focused, keep your eyes on the prize. Hold your head up. See, there's a light in the sky. I know you're fed up, but you must try to survive. Each moment's precious. Don't let life pass you by. Keep focused, keep your eyes on the prize. A friend of mine once told me. We had many paths this journey. They act in different directions, so when you question, don't be worried. It's not a wrong one. Beauty can be found in all of them. You'll meet people whose paths are set, but you don't know how long you walk with them. 'Cause the truth is, and it's so hard, but you'll never know how long we continue with our loved ones down this rugged road. The path veers, and it's clear that we must steer alone. I've learned you can't hold on to that moment that exists. Let it go. 'Cause freedom is God. Freedom is acknowledging the mask you have on and possessing the strength to take it off. Freedom is accepting every step of the path, and when it's hard. Having faith in the ability to embrace it—that's where you are. And this is it—the same shit that we work towards but go against. In the same sense, my friend hit me to some game and truth unraveled. She said, "The brighter the light, the darker the shadow." And since I'm on cliche terms, knowing is half the battle. But I don't know, so I just go with what was destined. Life can be a burden or a blessing. The choice is yours to be connected. It's there if you want it. You got it. Now let it. Thank you for listening to the Recovery Show, and please keep coming back. Whatever your problems, there are those among us who have had them too. If we did not talk about a problem you are facing today, feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode. May understanding, love, and peace grow in you one day at a time. I have nothing to give right now. This is my trial, tribulations, and it must go down. But where's the up? I'm stuck with a broken smile. No joking now. Wanting to grab a switch and smoke this out. The moment of a man choosing what path I will go down. Do I give in, give up, or get up and live right now? With a split gut, pick myself up and spit my style. This is the only thing that can hold my ground. You're born into this world alone, and alone you'll go out. All I have is myself and everyone else I doubt. You can only trust yourself and depend on the help of the pound. Inside of the chest that beats with the breath of the now. No sunshine when she's gone. I can only see clouds. No homies can hold me down. The spirit's testing me now, but I can withstand this world. But it seems so foul, flooded emotions. It's like I'm being held down. The drown hell's right around the corner, but I can turn it around. You always have a choice, no matter the situation. You're not bound to nothing, to no one. You're chosen for this job. This is your life. You can't escape this bitch when it's hard. Just know that it passes, but you'll collect scars. They never go away, but they will. Make you who you are. This is a beautiful struggle. I share it in song 'cause I can't control this. Remember the moments beyond us. Hold your head up. There's a light in the sky. I know you're fed up, but you must try to survive. Each moment's precious. Don't let life pass you by. Keep focused. Keep.